0: From the time we are born, we are placed in a bubble. It may be a result of where we are born, the people we are around, or the information we are given. Our mission here on the Sports is a Job podcast is to pop the bubble and help everyone realize they control their own path. We will interview people working in sports to share their story and provide our take on sport industry topics. Hosted by Colby Castillo and Olivia Poutine, welcome to the Sports is a Job podcast. Hello everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Sports is a Job podcast, Journey of the Working Sports Professional. This is one half of the podcast. My name is Colby Castillo, and as always, joined by the other half here.
1: Hey, everyone. This is Olivia Patin. Happy to be back
0: for another episode. So our guest today, to give it away a little bit, um, we have another guest from MKTG, But I'm going to stop doing the talking, and I'm going to let him introduce himself. So welcome to the Sports is a Job podcast. So if you could introduce yourself to the listeners and what it is you currently do today.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me on. Jonah Ballo, uh, VP of Digital at MKTG. Uh, Some experience in in multiple fields. I was previously with the New York Knicks and the Minnesota Timberwolves before that. So 10 years of experience in the NBA. Some wild stories I'm sure we can get into uh, if you want. And before that, I worked in sports radio. So uh, thanks so much for having me on. And uh, this is a really fun time to take advantage of connecting with people in our world and, and being able to jump on these podcasts.
0: The First question we have to ask, because Keith mentioned he was in Minnesota for a little bit. Yes. What is your thoughts on the Juicy Lucy and where's the best place to get it since you were there in Minnesota for a little See, bit? See,
2: this, this is where I'm going to get controversial. I'm not a huge <laughs> fan of the Juicy Lucy. What? I'm not it's a little, you know i'm a very simple person right off the bat we're getting into it i love it um i'm a simple guy like i don't need the cheese in the middle of the burger um and creating you know that sort of cuisine it's just it's it's not my cup of tea you know like i don't like poutine i don't like these things that are just all create a simple hamburger with just some you know onions ketchup and the bun and i'm good to go
1: i respect it and to be honest with you like cheeseburgers probably one of my favorite actually, it is my favorite food. You can ask any of my friends. And I I do agree because I think the burger kind of like outweighs the cheese almost. So it's not that great of a ratio. And you want to get like, I don't know, I just I agree with you to a certain point. I do like Juicy Lucy's. However, I do like classic originals as well
2: yeah they, <laughs> the burgers it just gets too crazy let's just keep it simple everybody wants to you know we got we get these pizzas with cheese in the crust and multiple <laughs> yeah. layers and all these things going on it's just, it's just too much i can't handle have it you, so, uh,
1: have you ever been to annie's parlor in dinky town
2: i know i don't think so
1: it's so Dinkytown is part of the uvm campus but annie's parlor oh, probably my favorite place to go to get burger fries and a shake they have the best burgers ever. So good. If you ever yeah. come back, you got to go and try it out.
2: Some definitely some good burger spots there, but uh, I was probably too old to hang out by <laughs> University of Minnesota when I was there, but uh, what a great area and a uh, fun time I had there in Minnesota.
0: Well, let's start off, you know, with the beginning of your career, you attended University of Kansas, but let's talk about what was your first job in sports and how did that come to be?
2: Well, at the University of Kansas uh, in college, I really did a lot of everything. I wanted to originally go into play-by-play for um, basketball. You know, that was kind of the dream or, you know, host my own Um, talk show, be the next Howard Stern. It was a guy I listened to uh, as a child and kind of growing up in Colorado. But, you know, when I was at the University of Kansas, I was lucky enough to go to a school. And one of the reasons why I went there, I grew up in in Colorado and a bunch of my friends went to Boulder and obviously a beautiful place to live. But what attracted me to Kansas was the opportunity to do play-by-play or student station. You would be live and you would be courtside. And for me, at the mecca of college sports, to be sitting there at Allen yeah. Fieldhouse with Wilt Chamberlain's number in the rafters, it just—I don't think it can get better in terms of environment. And let me tell you, it lived up to all those expectations from a basketball standpoint. My um, junior, my junior year, my junior season—I'm not a player. Uh, junior year, I—I uh, I did my first game, uh, men's game, and it was you know Kirk Heinrich, Aaron Miles, Keith Langford. Uh, Nick Collison, you know, a legendary team that went to -to back-to-back Final Fours, and I called the game against Iowa State. And I remember after that game, I turned off the mic, and I'm like, wow, I don't know if it'll ever get better than this. And this was my junior year of college. It was just an incredible experience, and that was really the first time I, I felt the connection in terms of being on the radio and being able to paint that picture and describe what was going on but feeding off the juice that was in the building that night and how electric it was. Uh, It was just an amazing experience. And I really wanted to cover sports to be as close as I could to the action uh, if I couldn't obviously make it onto the court. So that was my first experience at the University of Kansas and then kind of moved into sports talk radio as a producer and eventually got some on air time and doing a lot of the on camera stuff that I did uh, with the Knicks and Timberwolves. But it was all I always looked at the job as like a conduit to the fan, you know, like if the fan didn't have the opportunity to do what I was doing. Hopefully I could relay that experience or get them closer to the athlete. And that's what has always attracted me about um, all my jobs in sports or in marketing or anything that I've done thus far.
1: I, um, I've been to the University of Kansas. I used when I, Before I committed to um, Crookston for soccer, I went there for their ID camp in, like, May. This was probably, like, four or five years ago now, but, like, their campus, that campus is beautiful, and the basketball arena was actually open, so my dad, grandpa, and I just walked around and, like, went on the court. It was pretty cool, and, you know, I think, like, Kansas is a great place to go and get involved in sports because, like, they have, they're one of this, like, again, like, they're a power five school. They have everything there. Like, there's so much opportunity, and, but the one thing, like, I think it's really cool that you were basketball play by play because like that's something I would never have the confidence to do. So I guess like, how did you gain the confidence to do something like that? And just kind of like, how long did it take you to get comfortable doing something like that?
2: Never. <laughs> that's the answer. It, it Honestly, I have done quite a bit of on-air um, jobs and I've never felt comfortable. I've never felt at ease. There's, more of a comfort that i have felt as you get more experience but you always have that nervous feeling that excitement and that's kind of i think what draws you to these types of jobs you know and that's why everybody wants to do them it is it is something that you know very few people get to have the opportunity to experience but i never went in and was like man i got this lay back yeah. easy go, you know even. I would do, you know, uh, Kansas football games and there were like three people in the stands. Um, they were a terrible team at the time. Uh, I've done, even when I was at, uh, you know, Minnesota and, and, and working for the Timberwolves, I was doing high school games and I was nervous for that. And I just took it as a side job to get more reps. The more and more you get the reps on the air, the, the better you feel. You guys probably know this doing podcasting and, and, and being on air yourselves, but it, I would say there's never really a comfort zone. There's just a way to manage sort of your emotions and everything that's going on at one time. And I think you get better and better with that. And then you can find ways to be better at the job. But I got to tell you, there's never a moment where I've sat back and listen. I would always, you know, be very critical about my, my broadcast, listen to them. Even these podcasts, I listen back and I'm like, not good enough, not good enough. And, and I've never been happy with it. And sometimes that that's, a little harsh because I'm very difficult on myself. I I come down hard, but I think it drives you to kind of be better. And hopefully um, that's one way to, to improve over time. But I've talked to a lot of, you know, professional broadcasters. I traveled with Mike Breen um, for years and he's the same way. And you can tell those are the people who are really good at their jobs. They just never find a comfort level. And like, that's why they continually work hard at it. Right. If you get comfortable and, and kind of sit back and say, I got this thing figured out. You just never improve.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think that like when you talk about, um, being comfortable, it, it produces complacency. So in yeah. that way, right. that like, you get comfortable, you don't ever want to get better. If you could, you know, I think it's, it's important for us to stick on this point. Um, just for the listeners out there, whether they're getting into pro- broadcasting or they're, they're doing their own podcast is, you know, for example, if you were going to do a big interview with, let, let's say who's someone that you wish you could have interviewed or you could interview right now in the sports industry.
2: Wow, that's a great question. Uh, Right now in the sports industry, you know, the layup would be kind of LeBron James. I would like the opportunity to pick his brain a little bit more because I think he has some interesting thoughts. Um, You know, but a guy like Tyson Fury in boxing, I find him to be a fascinating story. I think, you know, the problem with the NBA guys is that, and this is a little bit of a tangent, but they're coached so well and they've learned how to speak and answer questions in, in a way that is uh, a little bit manufactured. And I'm not saying this is a bad thing. I'm saying this is, you do it so many times you have to build that repetition and sort of saying the correct answers in a way that's not going to get you in trouble and not creating a controversy. So I do, that's kind of what, you know, attracted me towards combat sports is these guys were saying crazy outlandish stuff. And I'm like, wow, this is awesome. Like they are somewhat, themselves even though they're trying to play it up for a fight but I think a guy like Tyson Fury and the story that he's had and people out there who are not uh, familiar with him is is a guy that's really battled back he won uh, the heavyweight belt he beat Vladimir Klitschko and surprised everybody in in the boxing world and then fell off a cliff uh, deep into depression uh, suicidal thoughts drug use um, was severely overweight and the then a uh, heavyweight title holder next to Anthony Joshua was Deontay Wilder who came out and made a comment saying, basically, this guy's never going to see it again. I'm not even worried about him. And then Tyson Fury heard that moment and came back and, and he's now the, now mm-hmm. he beat, um, you know, Deontay Wilder in the rematch. So guys like that personalities like that, those are the people that I would love to sit down and interview. That is my actually out of all the things that I've done. And I thought that I wanted to be in play by play, but out of all the things that I've done, interviewing the athletes and getting that opportunity to do it my way and sort of direct the conversation in a more unique way than w- what we've heard before is always the most attracting thing. And it's something that I kind of would like to even get back into after leaving the Knicks is to have those opportunities. Cause you listen to a Howard Stern and how masterful he is at the interviewing and getting things out of people, but also making them feel comfortable in the sense that they can express what they're feeling or what they're going through and, and hopefully you find a way to connect them to the audience. And I think that's what I've enjoyed the most. So I think Tyson Fury, if I had a, that's that a great question though. If I had to pick one right now, that probably would be the guy.
0: Yeah. And I'm a huge Tyson Fury fan. I did his live workout with his, his wife and him when he went on Instagram live, oh, I did it. Cool. He did a, a, a Instagram workout. So let's imagine, right. You're about to interview Tyson Fury's in the next room and you're about to interview him. And you said that you never feel comfortable. You never feel you're always feeling nervous. Now for the people out there, I want to provide them with an actionable thing or what, you know, insight into the thought process of going into this. What is your thought process going into it? Is there certain things you're telling yourself? What are you doing to prepare yourself to interview this big personality, this big star?
2: You know, it's interesting. So when I was at the garden, um, during halftime, the celebrities would go through the back entrance and go back up to James Dolan's Suite. And we would have the opportunity to interview them, they would have comp tickets. And, and so, you know, I thought it was a great opportunity to just go in the back. And if Chris Rock was there, I'd say, Hey, man, can I talk to you for a couple minutes? And the reason I say this is because I was always like, wow, these are people like I have no business interviewing and I don't know what I'm gonna ask them, but I knew ahead of time to prepare a little bit. So I think the way I looked at it is I would be over prepared in the sense I know about the person, but I would not necessarily prepare questions. Mm-hmm. So if that makes sense, like I was prepared with knowing all about the individual, what they were up to, what was going on in, in their world, but I wouldn't wanna come in with questions because I always wanna to listen to the answer. And not just have here's my five questions, and I'm just going to rifle these off. Because if they say something interesting, I want to either play off of it. You know, uh, there's a couple times with, you know, like JB Smoove. I interviewed him, and he was like all over the place. I'm just (laughs) trying to go back and forth and try to find the most entertaining sort of discussion with him. So I wanted to be flexible in the interview because Mm -hmm. things will come out that you say, you know what? Let's let's stay on that topic, or let's let me ask you a follow up on that. So that was kind of my way of calming and easing sort of the nerves heading into those interviews is I was prepared because I knew about them. So I could always rely on that information, right? If, if the person I was interviewing didn't want to give back the information or they were kind of stoic and, and quick to answer, okay, I could roll with that and I could just continue to, to fire off questions. But if it was somebody that was interesting and we went on a totally different tangent, I could roll with that in a much more – a uh, flexible way than I could if I had all these questions in my head that I wanted to get out. It's mm-hmm. it's it's a very difficult, you know, task to to really work with somebody that you've never had a conversation with before and make them feel at ease with the way they're answering the questions that they can trust you and they can sort of open up. And also like in this day and age when you can only have like. 30 seconds on social media. <laughs> that was my big issue with, you know, the, the Knicks is when I first started, we were putting the interviews up on YouTube. And if you go back, like a lot of my interviews with Iman Shumpert and those guys, I'd sit down with five, seven minutes with them, Chris Stapps, Porzingis, and it really allowed me to kind of ease into the interview. But now it's, we're kind of in that just soundbite, yeah. you know, quote mm-hmm. posts, you mm-hmm. know, way of operation. And And I do kind of miss that middle ground where you can really get into a deep conversation with some of the athletes. Cause I think, you know, we've had some discussions with them, you know, some athletes at my current job and a lot of these guys, I think have so many interesting stories to tell and thoughts on life as it coming from where they've been that it's, it's unfortunate that we get into this position of asking the same questions. There's a Mm -hmm. bunch of uh, reporters. They got to get their, there are stories out the next day and, and you never get into those deep conversations that I think um, make everybody unique. So I think for people out there listening to this and, and, and that's great that you have an actual item, come prepared with knowing your subject, but allow yourself a way to deviate necess- from some of those questions that you think are necessary to allow yourself freedom in that interview to be yourself and to take it into a different direction.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's so interesting when you're talking about this, I think about MMA or fighting in general, right? And the beautiful thing about fighting is when you have an amazing fight, a beautiful fight is when both of them are are going at each other, reacting and reacting, and then you yeah. have a boring fight like the Uel Romero and Adesanya fight where they never even did anything. I mean, both yeah. of them are waiting. but when this free flow is just flow, it's flow, it's flow, like you ask the question, they give you the answer. It's more so just a conversation and it goes into, you know, our mindset on this podcast is that there's so many great people in the sports industry where all you're asked usually is like, okay, what did you do with this job or whatever, or what is the advice about one place that you learned? But I like to get into the stories, the stories of, of what you did when you were there. Like you mentioned like you did the play-by-play for Kansas. Like that's amazing for people to hear, but also like looking at your career, you really climbed you could say the Mount Everest that the sports industry is. You went from being a sports reporter at your college to being the VP at M- MKTG. So I guess, you know, with all these different interviews that you did, what was your favorite interview that you, uh, you did all time so far?
2: Oh, with athletes or celebrities?
0: Yeah, with anybody. Anybody in
2: general. Oh, uh, boy. So I did get to interview Howard Stern. Which I saw that. Yeah, I could die a happy man after that <laughs> happened, and I'll, I'll tell you a funny story about that. So, you know, he doesn't do the interviews. I, he, you know, he'll do the late night circuit, but he really will not do anything other than those. Um, you know, Jimmy Kimmel, who he's friends with, and and I knew that, and he never did any interviews really at MSG. So even he would rarely they'd show him on the you know Garden Vision Jumbotron, and we had a list of people that we were allowed to sort of ask, you know, if they would do, you know, pop-up liners or stuff for the, you know, come on guys, let's go playoffs, that kind of stuff. And so we knew the the, the celebrities that we were allowed to ask and I didn't think he was on the list. So when he went, he walked past me and I looked at my videographer and he's like, dude, you got to do it. You got to ask him. <laughs> and I'm sitting there and I'm like, well, he's not on the list. I don't want to get in trouble. So I'm emailing quickly, like, you know, the, the people, the executives that, um, basically give me the green light they didn't get back to me and he's starting to walk down towards me and go out to the to the stadium for the third quarter and i had to make a decision in my head like is this worth you know sacrificing potentially my job or getting in trouble for and i did i asked him i said how can i get two seconds with the and i just i was shocked that he said yes he said yes and he doesn't really know a lot about basketball so i had to find a creative way to get in and it was when he just started uh america's got talent and I talked to him about Jeremy Lin and I'm like, well, assess this guy's talent. You know, how does he make it on America's Got Talent? And I kid you not, after I asked that question, I blacked out. I, I, I just don't, I don't remember what I said. Now, I was coherent. If you watch, the, if you look at the video, I'm actually alive and there. But I couldn't remember anything after that. It was so, I was just in awe. It was the only guy. I've interviewed Chris Rock, um, Kevin Hart. You know, Seth Myers, a bunch of these celebrities, that was the only guy that I was just like, I can't believe this is happening. And um, that was one of my favorite ones, not from the content of it, but from sort of just going for it and, and having a lesson learned there that sometimes it's worth it, you know, and it's worth it. And my PR guy at the time, who was sort of also in charge of making sure that I, you know, didn't step out of bounds or didn't do anything wrong. I told him afterwards and he's a huge Howard Stern fan. He was like, this is amazing. Like he was so happy and every, everything was fine, you know? So that was an amazing interview. Um, I did get a chance to sit down with Derek Rose on multiple occasions. And I don't know if you guys heard, of, heard of him, heard him in his interviews, I should say, but you know, he doesn't really open up a lot of times now he's starting to, but I did a sit down with him in Minnesota and I thought it was really introspective and interesting and thoughtful and he could tell that I was on that same level. And it goes back to your original point of when you get into that, you know, dance of asking the question, hearing the answer and feeling like you have a camaraderie there and a chemistry, even though you two people just met and I'm asking him questions, but you know, I was, I was asking about his MVP campaign and how he came back and, and has he become stronger and better? And he just, I thought he was very thoughtful. And then when he um, returned and actually played for the Knicks, I, opened up with him again and had a similar interview where I thought he was really thoughtful and a really good interview. And I just, I don't know, I, I found that to be probably one of the better ones that I've done uh, over the course of my time. Um, I, I think Kevin Love was really good. When I was in Minnesota, there was a couple of good interviews I had with him. Um, but I've been, I've been lucky. I mean, even Carmelo Anthony, I thought has been provided some interesting information. I talked to him about Kobe, several years ago. Um, this was on when he was retiring. And, and I thought he provided some really good stories about the two of them. And, and when Carmelo first came in the league and playing against Kobe and how he had to get over that and, and feeling like, wow, this is a guy I looked up to and sort of the rela- their relationship and how it evolved over time. So I think those types of interviews are, are my favorite when I get a chance to just sit down and have some time and not feel rushed. And really get to dive into it. But those are those have been some of my favorites.
1: When you sit down and interview with these um big, I guess, like athletes, what are ways that you find to connect with them to make it flow better? Cause I because I guess this is for me and people that listen, like I'm I write articles on athletes at my school and I think like I I find it difficult to connect with them because I feel like there's a big difference like when you're interviewing people and like what you get out of it. Like it can be an interview or it can be a conversation. And I guess like when you connect with them and you make a conversation, you get better content. So I guess like, what are ways that you try and find like reasons to connect with them to make it flow and go better?
2: Well, it kind of goes back to that original comment that I made about preparing and knowing them. So whenever I interviewed an athlete, I kind of watched their previous interviews and I knew what the, the way they approached it there's somebody that shut off and was just a one, you know, one word answer, then I knew I probably wasn't going to get too far, even though I liked the challenge of it. I think you go into a prepared and knowing the person's personality and how to navigate that. So that's kind of the first step. So You're not walking into, you know, if it was somebody like Iman Shumpert, I don't know if you guys remember him, but he played for the, you know, the New York Knicks, uh, won a championship with the Cavs. He, he was big into rap and he was gonna come out with his own albums and I knew I could kind of relate to him on that level. But the time you start the interview is really not the interview, it's before. It's kind of the lead up, hey man, what's going on? Did you, did you see you know the new album that came out or what do you think about this? And trying to just start a conversation before the interview starts so that you're naturally into a, that back and forth to start. Um, I would always try to also open up with something that was not a gotcha question, but sort of a, something they didn't expect and they had to kind of think it through. And then, then that kind of starts the flow of the conversation a little bit more. Um, and you can get also playing to their ego, you know, everybody likes to be told that they're great and they're, they're awesome at what they do, but you kind of, you don't, I think we live in this society now too, where it's a lot of like, I'm going to get you, I'm going to get you to say something just to make the headlines. And I was always trying to open up, you know, with either a positive sort of spin on it. Not that I was trying to placate to that athlete and and pump them up, but just say, like, hey, I'm not here to sort of take you down. <laughs> that's that's not what I'm all about. Or you can say fans have said these things or fans are wondering out there. You can almost put the onus on the fan base. And I think athletes sometimes will talk to the fans more. So I think that's a way to open up those conversations a little bit more to somebody who you know, again, you're just connecting to, um, right off the bat, you can also make light of it. You know, I'd always, you know, Hey man, sorry. Like, you know, this is totally crazy. I, I have to do this for my boss or whatever it is, you know, um, <laughs> or, uh, I only got five minutes. So you've got to tell me your life story. You ready for that? You know, just get them to, to laugh and sort of understand where you're at. Um, I think oftentimes too, with athletes or celebrities, we put them on a pedestal too much. You know, they're the same as everybody else, especially now in this situation, we're all in the same boat. Um, they can't, they can't be doing the the thing that they want and we're all stuck in our houses, not being able to do our jobs. So I think you you just got to find those commonalities between the two people. And I think people will be surprised athletes are much easier to deal with. Um, than I think it, it looks like on TV or on radio or in the newspaper and some of the comments. And you just kind of have to connect with them on that human level. And that, that really is helpful.
0: And it's interesting because, you know, Olivia and I went through this process where when we first started the podcast, I mean, we were interviewing interns and Mm -hmm. then, you know, I, I booked my first athletic director to jump on the podcast. And I remember the whole week I was just super excited, super excited. I got them on and they realized, you know, there was so much things that we shared in common. You know, a lot of the things that we were talking about before and after the podcast, I was just like, dude, like, yeah, I mean, it's just we relate on such a, a a common level where they I don't see them as big as they are anymore, which is super interesting to me as we get bigger and bigger and bigger guests. That like you were saying, everyone's just people at the end of the day. And it's it's these stories that I wish that we could bring out. And going back to that one thing, you know, I wish I could I wish I could interview Kawhi Leonard. I think Kawhi Leonard would be a, a good interview if you could actually pull it out of him. I'm sure yeah. like he would have some interesting stories that he can tell. So let's get back into your career because again, we, we want people to understand like, how did you make it to, you know, so how did you go from the Knicks to MKTG? What was that process like? The, you know, how did you find out about the job?
2: You know, after six years with the Knicks, uh, I did a lot with that team um, from when I first started with them and, and really changing their social media approach and how they produce content and being able to travel with the team it was a grind for six years it was an awesome job it was so much fun i I would never say you know it was challenging in the sense of of a lifestyle but you know i don't think people realize it was always on um throughout the season throughout summer league free agency i was traveling with the team so every road game every home game every practice i was there it was my life for six years and I started to feel, we talked about being comfortable. I started to feel a little comfortable and I, feel, I felt like I kind of was at a point where I was, I've done as much as I can with the NBA and with the New York Knicks at that level. So originally I had thought about stepping aside maybe to a Bleacher Report, ESPN, going somewhere in that editorial path. And I, the, my creative director at MKTG, I had hired him to do illustrations and animations for me at the Knicks we had worked together for several years we had really good chemistry of like i would come up with a concept he'd be able to make it live in a world of illustrations and animations and great content and i told them i'm like hey if you know any you know positions open let me know i would love to, to kind of start to explore i really i wasn't even i'm gonna lead the knicks i was just like i'm gonna start to explore opportunities at this point i felt like that's always a good exercise for anybody out there you know if you're at a job for a certain period of time to even if you're happy to see what else is out there too you know it helps you get stronger if you you are aware of the marketplace and then also seeing if there's something else that can challenge you and he's like you know i'm at mktg and he's like we're doing some really great stuff you should come over here and i'm like i'm not gonna work at an agency are you crazy i've never worked at an agency i never thought about working working at an agency and then he started to describe the thought process between you know at mktg it's an experiential agency for for people out there who don't know Um, and they're across the United States. They do tremendous work with, uh, fortune 500 companies building out these experiential activations, you know, with, you know, like a Diageo or, uh, they've had like a Smirnoff house or, you know, in the NFL and like some of these cool activations that you can participate in live, not my experience, but they were building out a little production team within the the larger agency. And, uh, Keith, who you've had on and uh, was somebody that I connected with in Minnesota when I was at the Timberwolves just on Twitter. And we did it also um, when I was at the Knicks. I think he was trying to beg me for tickets at <laughs> one point. So I always give him, give him some static about that. But we, you know, he's like, listen, let's go meet. I was actually doing um, a feature for them called IBM Game Changers. So they were going to interview me on camera about my work with the Knicks. And then afterwards we sat down, and we just talked. And my philosophy has always been like, I can feel out sort of opportunities and what feels natural. And I didn't want to go into like a job interview and like, you know, somebody at HR looks over your resume. Nope. You're not a fit. You're out. Like it's just those approaches to me are a little bit outdated. And what we did is we just had a conversation about social media, about content, about what they do and what I do and whether it's a fit. And I was like, this feels really good. Like I love this team and I like the approach and maybe this will be, a great opportunity for me to step outside of the NBA, step outside of doing content in basketball, work for you know other brands, see how brands think about content. Because I was doing branded content at the Knicks and and creating deals in which we had you know sponsored pieces on on social and on the website, but uh, at a different level. And that's when you know my creative juices got flowing, and I was like, "Wow, this is exciting for me!" So that's when I decided, I decided to take the leap. And it's been two years now and I've done everything from, you know, working with athletes directly to, you know, fanatics where we've created, uh, you know, branded content where we go out to these uh, events where they, um, you know, they give fans like uh, a, a tailgate experience they've never had before in their lives to working for a beauty brand and doing, you know, basically product shoots that I've, that I've never worked on before. But a lot of the same things that I've learned on the way up or these different experiences um, are still applicable to those jobs. But now I get to do so many different things, wear so many different hats, whether I could be jumping in and editing a video or directing a shoot the next day or working with my creative director on an animated series that we're doing now for a PGA tour it's just it's it's crazy so i love doing a lot of things and this is sort of a perfect fit for that and um it really has helped me grow a lot so it's been fun
0: so what is your you know we did an episode about tiktok because tiktok is the talk of the town um these days <laughs> i'm seeing a lot of seminars about tiktok and you talked about you love talking about social media um yep. you're in digital and things like that but we're seeing a lot more sports teams use tiktok So what is your view on TikTok and how do you think it will end up being? Will it die out? Will it stay around? What do you think?
2: My philosophy on social media platforms is a wait and see approach. Mm -hmm. So I think it is good that a lot of brands and teams are jumping on. You should know the platforms, you should know how they fit. What we do know now is that they're all not the same. So, you know, I think there's a tendency for brands and even teams in the sports world to say we have to do this. I would get that all the time. Like, why? Are, what was our TikTok plan? What are we doing? I don't know. I gotta like sit back and figure this thing out before I jump on it and make some terrible mistake. You know, <laughs> you have to know the audience. Obviously, what we do know is it's it's for younger people. It's, it's much younger than myself. Um, it is you know moments in time that are you know less polished content that you have to play to that audience. And I think w- your question is, will it die out? I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I think what we've seen in the past, you know, with Vine and, and certain platforms that have died out is because, you know, the bigger platforms have created a similar experience within their own platform. And I'm looking at Instagram stories, uh, you know, so we don't quite know if the TikToks of the world can survive, survive that. Um, I would like to think they can, but I think there is a lot of opportunities there and I've been. Really, actually, we have um, a couple girls on our staff that are really into TikTok. They're using it. And I asked them for advice. What do you guys think about this? And trying to listen to some of the, the industry leaders, you know, NASCAR, the Carolina Panthers, and the Eagles. I have a couple people um, that I follow and, and, and hearing their approach to TikTok. So the short answer is I think it's something that everybody should have an understanding of. The long answer is I think the strategy should have to fit what it is that you're trying to accomplish. You're trying to reach a big audience like the, like NASCAR. There's certainly some great opportunities there. I'm not sure what the branded component of that is and how to monetize it. Because the one thing I'm not a huge Facebook fan for my personal use. Instagram's great. But the one thing they've done is they've established a way of, you know, creating ads and building business off of it and reporting. So I think we have to wait and see if those other platforms can catch up in a way that is advantageous for a brand to to latch on and really sink some sponsorship dollars in. Um, but as far as, if you're looking at teams, um, more so than brands, I think it is an awesome place to be. It's an awesome, you know, vehicle to get fun, quick, content out that doesn't necessarily need uh an editor on the ground working on days for it it can be real quick and that moment and also you know if you have somebody on the field who can quickly capture a moment where there's a touchdown and the guy looks right in the camera and you get that moment that's gold and that's the place where where you want to be and also the mixing of music i think is really interesting because you know that's always something we deal with you know rights holders and can we use this track can't we it's like this this Vague gray world of of using licensed music, but I love the pairing of of TikTok right now. It's just it's moving so fast <laughs> that I'm just trying to catch up and see okay who's doing it well. What are the things that you can do with it? Um, but as we're seeing, and what I love about the space is there's no experts. Everybody wants to say I'm an mm-hmm. expert. Come on, it, the experts are the people who are using it, and and we're all part of the learning. So that's what's the fun part about it. And I think um, we'll. Time will tell with TikTok.
1: I mean, Kobe knows my (laughs) stance on TikTok. What's
2: your, what's your stance on it?
1: I just like, so I, I don't know if I work for, I'm an intern at the university of Minnesota for the Gophers right now. So we, everyone is hopping onto this TikTok bandwagon and we are still like, not sure if we want to do it because I think we're trying to find ways in order to implement it into the teams first, because I feel like my part, I think TikTok is great to get a giant reach of people because during this quarantine, my dad has gotten TikTok (laughs) and everyone in my, in my, house, all me and my siblings, we've all played soccer. So they did this like soccer parent dance. And within two days it had like 1.5 K views. He doesn't have any followers. And I'm just like, I'm really curious about the algorithms But I think, like, TikTok – I think, again, I agree with you. I think it's constantly changing, and there's so many different things you can do with it now. But I think it started off as a great way for individuals to connect with other people, like individual athletes. But now I think it'll be interesting to see, like, how teams can use it, like, even, like, replays or something or interviews or – because at first, like, I, I, I honestly still haven't used TikTok. I should probably use it just to kind of see, like, what it all can do. But at first, I thought it was just, like, a dance app. But now, like, I've now through this quarantine process, I've seen, like, tweets, people sharing the stuff that they've made. And it's really fascinating and interesting. So, like, I've definitely opened up to it more. But I just – I would like to see, like, what other teams are doing to make it more of, like, a team, I guess – a team social media rather than an individual social media, if that makes sense.
2: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the way you should approach it, right? What is best for what we're trying to create? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we're seeing that with the type of content that lives in Instagram versus Twitter. You know, the native content wins. It's not linking to another platform. And that is a hard lesson that I've learned, you know, through the Knicks. I used to, I mean, this is going to date me, but, you know, I, you know, link back to the article with, you know, no image, you know, as it just text in the tweet, that's terrible now, right? That was, that would get me fired from any social media job. Now you want to create, you know, I would also often do, you know, a full video, like six, seven minutes in Twitter, like, no, can't do that. Mm-hmm. So I think you're right. And I think if you can incorporate, maybe it is a personality, whether it's a mascot that can live on TikTok, mm-hmm. um, whether it's a dancers or, you know, there's, we always had the challenge of those unique sort of ancillary pieces to the team and where do they fit? You know, even at the Timberwolves, the dance team was a big part of um, the organization, and so was the mascot crunch. So, how do they live in this world, right? Where you're trying to reach everybody, but not everybody's interested in the one thing that you're kind of posting about at all times? So, a mascot might be awesome for TikTok. You know, that might be the lightweight sort of opportunity. Um, to create a lot of fun, cool content, but mm-hmm. not necessarily sink all your resources into.
1: I think Goldie the Gopher would get a lot of followers.
2: Yeah, He's totally a very lovable guy. Exactly, not that's a, a great format. Yeah, and it and it hits a lighter audience. So, you know, it, the strategy is very important. Um, there's often times in my career where I've I've tried to say, you know, let's not get too focused on the numbers and the strategy, and let's be creative and be fun, and and make sure that we're not just sitting in decks all day and trying to, uh, you know, get out of that. And that's why we're all in, you know, social media creation. So, but I do think that the strategy, once you start to outline, here's a piece of content, what, what audience are we trying to reach? What are our objectives? What are our goals that will quickly help you navigate the channels? And I think if we look at them as channels, right? Like, certain people are going to watch um, ESPN and certain people are going to watch uh, HGTV, you know, like they're not going to be the same audience. There's going to be overlap. But if you look at sort of the platforms as those channels and make sure that you're funneling in that right content, yes, there will be overlap. But for the main core audience, we're hitting that on that right note. I think that's when you'll see the strongest output. Mm
0: -hmm. And I I, I know like, our social media strategy, like with what we've been doing in the podcast, um, is interesting because I never, I don't have a social media background, but the strategy I've kind of taken and we've grown the Twitter account, um, under two months, about right over a thousand mm-hmm. um, people in the community is I basically, I use one piece of content and I just post it at different times on Twitter and Instagram. But, you know, hearing that different perspective of you, maybe I have to figure out a way to tailor it. Now, how would you, how do you think a podcast could use TikTok? I'm kind of interested to see like your what your you know your strategy or ideas would be. do you think there would be room for a podcast to do that
2: boy I haven't really thought of it in that way i'm I'm certain you could use like sound bites and visuals mm-hmm. you know that would be an interesting way to do it you know i i it's very interesting where we're at in in this world because it's either you watch or listen to things that are four hours or you watch and listen to things that are Fifteen seconds. <laughs> like, where's the in between here? Yeah. And I, have, I find it fascinating because we have so much great long form content. I'm a person who sits sits there and listens to four hour podcasts, Joe Joe Rogan. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I'm all about that, and I like watching Netflix documentaries. Um, so I'm probably in the more the long form sector of the world, and there's the short form content when I'm on Twitter all day long too, and scrolling through and I'll I find myself bumping out of things that are going too long. So I'm not sure if the, the podcast and the TikTok overlap. overlap. Um, I do think it's interesting with podcasts though, because, you know, we're eventually MKTG and, the, and a couple of the guys, we're going to start our own. And I think there's interesting sound bites you can take out of it. And that's kind of putting on my producer hat, from sports radios, I'd always, you know, we would have an interview segment with a player say that would go 15 minutes. I would then go cut up 15 seconds as a bumper to come back in from commercial break, or we'd cut up sound bites for the next show to use. It's the same thing in Twitter, right? Like from our conversation here, we could find 15 seconds. That would be really interesting. You can post that on Twitter, either as a sound bite with some visual visuals if we don't have the video or you can make a quote post out of that and so then your assets are working for you um i always find that you know you can have the long form content but then create short form pieces out of it Mm -hmm. and it we've always looked at you know when we work with brands or when i worked for the knicks as episodic type of content that you can stretch over a season you know try not to look at here's a piece of content boom it's gone now we can't use it anymore you know see Mm -hmm. how that can work for you over the long run and I think, um, you know, whether it's on TikTok or whether it's, you know, maybe it's a promotional tool, TikTok can be used if it's, if it's you and you're on camera doing some funny <laughs> dance and, and putting it to music and then tune into my podcast, maybe there is some overlap there. I don't think there probably is, but um, I think certainly like Twitter can work for you. Instagram can work for you in promotional and also showing here's some sound bites from this conversation that can give you assets for a week, two weeks down the road. It may, you make the content work for you.
0: Yeah, definitely. Well, we appreciate you, Jonah, you know, hopping on the sports is job podcast. Mm-hmm. Where can people find you?
2: At Jonah Ballo, J O N A H B A L L O W is my Twitter, Instagram, Jonah Um, and we post a lot of the work we've been doing with MKTG and can find all my funny outlandish thoughts <laughs> or dumb boring thoughts, however you want to look at them on, on Twitter and Instagram. But uh, yeah, you can check me out there.
0: Well, again, everybody who joined in to listen to the Sports is Job podcast, as always, we appreciate your time. We understand how valuable your time is. And like we always say, the message from Jonah, Olivia, and I, we are all on our own individual journeys, but you are not alone.